Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the American Rugby Show. This is the Round 11 MLR Breakdown. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Corbacero, joined by former US MLR Coach of the Year, Rob Hoadley, and the most capped USA Eagle of all time, Todd Clever. This is where we break down the analysis. But before we get to the show, I want to give a quick shout out for our Eagle Watch edition last week, where we had an exclusive sit-down, in-person interview with the one and only, yes, I use that term a lot, but this guy deserves it more than ever, Nate Ebner, three-time Super Bowl winner, rugby Olympian, currently on the journey to get to the 2021 Tokyo Games, which we are calling 2020 Tokyo. But it's a really good sit-down with myself and my fiance, USA Women's Sevens co-captain, Abby Gostaitis. Lots of insight there as we go through his journey, his book, uh, his story with his dad, insights for fathers, insights for rugby fans, sports fans, motivation, whatever you need to do, that is the pod for you. So make sure you check it out. But now it is time for the round 11 MLR breakdown. MLR round 11. Here it is, the breakdown. Happy Memorial Day. What a weekend it was. And it was uh, it was awesome to see all the teams across the league and the league really put focus. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm a very proud American uh, wearing the red, white, and blue and, and rocking that. But it was, it was awesome to see everybody, uh, you know, getting behind that whole Memorial Day. Uh, you know, to, to, you know, those teams that are auctioning off jerseys that are getting back to the community, uh, all the armed forces. Uh, it was just, you know, great. And we got some great rugby with some uh, with some upsets. Uh, Hodes, what were your thoughts over over the whole uh, weekend? Yeah, well, it was statement weekend, wasn't it? I think uh, you looked at San Diego, ATL, Utah and Rooney putting in huge statements uh, and then New England scraping a tight win, but with their home games coming b- um, up, they're very much in it in the East as well. So great weekend of action and, and loads to pick apart. And I mean, I think obviously uh, game of the week would have been LA uh, ATL. Can't wait to get stuck into that one. Uh, no, I agree, mate. What a game that was. Clash of styles, uh, an absolute tussle. So much drama as well. Captivating. Tough to see LA lose uh, from my personal point of view, but I think it's great for the league and great for the game. And I actually think it'll be great for LA to experience it, experience that and learn from it. I, and again, Rooney, outstanding performance. What a way to make a statement. We talked last week about, you know, East Coast, West Coast conferences. I think, you know, that East Coast, Beast Coast mantra is starting to become more and more, um, you know, noticeable week on week. That was two big performances from Atlanta and Rooney. Free Jacks, a, a gritty win, like you said. And then I just, you know, across the board, I think, you know, we're starting to see a run in to the, to the playoffs and, and what's at stake. And I think, you know, 
for certain teams, you know, getting home field advantage or, or how the sort of seedings rank up in the conferences is another talking point, which I think is just going to become more and more interesting now as we turn that co- corner with those sort of final six games to go. No, without a doubt. I mean, let's uh, let's get underway. You know, first game of uh, of the weekend was New England playing host to Toronto. Uh, you know, close encounter, but uh, New England coming away fourteen to twelve. Who wants to put their hand up and, and talk about that? You want to talk about that, Corbsy? No, it wasn't the prettiest of games this weekend. It was an arm wrestle of a contest, but it was you know East Coast versus East Coast teams. You know, this is the tightest division out there. Points at stake, and I think you got to credit the Free Jacks for getting the W. Yeah, yeah, we, it's um, the games you've got to win, you know, these are the games that no one remembers at the end of the year, but this this is now what's kept New England in it, you know, and uh, it was a good battle, there's some goal line stands, you know, when it comes to these conditions, it's really going to be about sort of, it's easier to defend than attack, you know, you want to you actually defend high up the field, you want to put line speed on to force errors, uh, have a great set piece, uh, and kick and chase game really with a low error count, uh, and you can see that from, uh, you know, New England do love coming up hard on the outside, similar to ATL. You, you saw that they really came up hard early and, and forced forced a penalty at the breakdown from which they kicked three points. And it's kind of like when it comes to these games, it's going to be three point games, you know. Uh, so it's going to be critical to force that pressure and get those points on the board. And then, of course, they scored um, from tight play. Thebes got his pick and go. Um, and, you know, that's the nature of the game. But, you know, speaking, we're going to come on to a bit more detail that Corbs has got on, on New England. But Toronto, I mean, again, it's just such a, such a tough ask for them being away from home. Um, but they still they still pull out opportunities. I mean, the Wadden try was fantastic going through Johnston and Alecky Morris. What a great line to pick a hole between two good defenders. Uh, and then from nowhere in the second half, they came up with the best rugby of the game uh, for the Tuchelet try. Again, we say that they're one of the better teams playing from a ruck 30 metres from uh, the touchline. They, they, they handle well, they support well out there, they run great lines. Um, but it wasn't enough. And unfortunately, they also, in a similar way to we showed earlier that uh, New England used their line speed to create a penalty chance, Toronto did the same. They came up hard. Uh, Lesage uh, picks up the loose ball, goes 50 metres. They get a penalty and it hits the post. It is a regulation penalty and it hits the post in a, a rainy get day when you know it's going to be a three-point, six-point kind of a game. And then to add to that, they have a fantastic goal line defensive stand right at the end when they're down two points, like eight minutes to go or something. And you think, right, they can turn it around. They go the length. They get they get up onto the uh, New England try line in two minutes to go. And they create a penalty and attacking rut from playing the ball on the ground. And it kind of sums uh, Toronto season up. They've done all the hard work. They defended on their own line. They got all the way up the field and they couldn't go over from one metre. Plus they'd missed a penalty, which would have won it for them as well. So, I mean, it's tough to see. It's tough to see from Toronto. They scored second most points in the league, I think, and, or they had before this weekend. But, uh, but you've got to think they're probably out of it now, lads. 
I mean, I don't know. No, I, mean, I, just, I agree. It was, it was just it was just last week we were talking about that they are the 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 blind side coming through and and uh, you know one week. I mean, it just shows you how competitive that East Coast is with the rugby and the standards and 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 who they're matched up against. I mean, they lost with a bonus point and it drops them down to bottom of the table. They win with a bonus point with a couple of this. Then they're going to be got back in third place, and if they win another game, they could be in that top spot. So I mean, it, it is it is incredibly close, you know, on that East Coast, Beast Coast, yeah. uh, you know, for sure. Completely, and that that's the edge between these two teams now. And squeaking out this win, as I say, New England now have uh, quite a few home games coming up. Toronto play San Diego next week, and San, San Diego is probably a team you want to avoid at the moment. So next week, I think really is must win for Toronto, uh, as they just missed out on this tight one. But um, hey, Corbs, you want to get onto that lineout play where I think you picked up a real nice bit of play from New England? Yeah, absolute. Uh... Lovely bit of detail from the Free Jacks. And, you know, that is a theme on this pod. I love looking out for little details and they keep delivering over and over again. Ryan Martin and his men are one of the best sort of intricate sort of set piece plays uh, around there. And I want to talk about one play. I love this absolute detail from the Free Jacks. 38 minutes on the clock and they go for an eight-man line-out, an eight-plus-one, all right? And if you look at the front of the line-out, they've got nine, 15, and 12. Doggy Fife as a lifting pod there. They then move the ball to the... They, they go up, they dummy the draw, uh, they get the drive in the middle. You've got uh, the seven with the quick... Instead of pulling out a nice little roll-out peel as they send the backs round the front, you've got three backs coming round there. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you've got Conradi, who I think is at the blindside winger spot, coming in on that sort of separate line the the defenders on the side of the mall are bit in on those three backs coming around the front he gets the gain line there rob and then i love the next bit of detail i'm gonna leave to you to take over from there well as that's all happening and obviously uh, in the 22 you're expecting same way plays uh barlow slips back out to the left wing uh um Boyle stays behind and Fife starts to move and it's very difficult for the defenders to pick that up because they're so worried about the pick and go, especially in conditions like this. But they've moved so far in field with the uh, the peel there that uh, Corbs you described that it leaves quite a lot of space. So now all of a sudden, when Boyle does sweep left, he's now got a four-man shot against a very narrow Toronto defence. And actually, the pass goes to ground from Poland. But really, it was a huge try-scoring opportunity and it would have been a great reward for a really well-thought-out play. Absolutely. And what I love about it is if you go back and you have the eight men line out there, you, you, you're Toronto now seeing this for the first time, not quite sure what to expect. A lot of time when you look at line outs and there's backs involved, you almost ignore them because you know they're probably not going to get the ball. But the way they set up a pod at the front in a three, Dougie Fife with seven's experience, his height, he could easily win the ball there if he's completely neg neglected. There's so much other potential variation that the Free Jacks can build off that, that it's so clever because you could send the backs round on a peel where they could actually get the ball, they could play out the back, you could just drive and then peel down the blind side with those three backs there. You've got so much sort of variation and, and, and I think it's just really clever from the Free Jacks and it's such a consistent theme that when you watch their games you're always finding these little really well thought out plays and, and that seems to be sort of Ryan Martin's sort of uh, calling card in this MLR 
Yeah, and I think that's why it is such fine margins. If they lost the game, they would have been the ones struggling now in the East. But with that uh, momentum, I mean, they also, Wacker missed an easy try as well when he ran past uh, old Montero. He's great going forward, but he's got the turning circle of a London bus going backwards. I think Wacker must have run about seven metres further than him and then just drops the ball. Um, so there was two try opportunities for New England as well. Um, so, so both sides missed some opportunities. But with that momentum now, New England play five of the next six games at home. Their only away game is Toronto, and it's not really a home game for Toronto. It's kind of neutral. And their last game of the uh, season is against ATL, who may have already qualified by then. So don't rule New England out. They could go on a run here. Next game of the MLR round 11 was San Diego hosting Houston. And uh, it was pretty much a one-sided affair. San Diego 39, Houston 11, uh, down in Chula Vista in front of no fans, sadly, because they're actually playing some good rugby. Um, oh, your boys are coming, coming. They're, they're, they're picking up some steam. I think you have some inside knowledge on some of these fellas and, and uh, what the environment's like. But it's great to see them playing some rugby, but I just want them to play in front of fans. I just know the fans want to see them play live. So, uh, Hodes, what, what are your thoughts on that game? Well, I think the fans are getting them at a good time of the year because it wasn't much fun to watch them earlier in the year. But you don't want to get in the way of this team uh, at the moment. Or you might look a bit like Sam Windsor trying to get in the way of Kenny Nazagenge, uh, which, which didn't look pretty. But um, it was all too inevitable, mate. Like, from both, from both sides here. Like, Houston are just, you know, on a downward trajectory, you know. They've shown some gl- gl- glimpses of promise, but just not delivered anything this year. And Legion are, are really, really on the up now. Um, I, I mean, look, I, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this, but we can just go through, I mean, some of the things. Uh, Houston had 70% possession at one stage, and they never really threatened uh, the Legion uh, try line, you know. Uh, their their line-out line was awful. Their reaction to lost line-outs was awful. Legion were giving away penalties, but it didn't matter because Houston would kick to touch and lose the line-out. So it, it didn't matter. Um, they lose a line-out in their own, uh, in Legion 22, just fall asleep and Legion go for a 30-meter me- break. I think that kind of sums it up. They overthrow to uh, Dean Muir for the first uh, Legion try, uh, which Ferno gets a pick and go at the end of it. The charge down try... I mean, I think my nan could have charged that one down. It was so slow. And like, it was like they sent a carrier pigeon out, giving them the message that, that they're going to kick there. It was, it was just so poor. You see it coming a mile off. No strategy. Uh, there was a line-out drive, like capitulation, where they just started uh, going in reverse. And then, again, like last week, uh, Old Glory get a, a, a red card at the end of the game, firing on a shorts. And Houston don't, don't get out the half for 20 minutes. And it was the same thing here. Basson gets a yellow card. Houston then four turnovers in a row. And then Morani scores for Legion. It was so poor. And then, again, Sam Windsor, like Homer Simpson, sort of disappearing into the bushes there when Kenny Nagsgenge ran at him. Uh, but that, that sums it up, you know. That, it, was, it was very, very poor from them. Um, but, like, Legion now... You know, third most try scored in the league, most line breaks, most tackle breaks, and that's all with no defence. They didn't have a defence for nine games. So trust me, if you have a good defence, you score a lot more tries and a lot more points. So they can already score points, plus this, this defence now, with Phil Green in getting hold of them, they come up very hard, the first five, six defenders. They're putting so much pressure on the attack. It's great to see. And then even where Basson got uh, yellow carded, 
at least he's trying to close off the edge and put some pressure there. So, and they've only just sort of started doing this. So they've got six games to really improve it. And the depth is scary, lads. They've got two new forwards coming in that are going to potentially start. Robshaw and Tamalau, leaders, not involved. You've got nine front row now, all fit. Like you have Mitchell and Sylvia not in the matchday squad. They're good, good, good MLR players. Uh, so the training numbers are going up. You know, Corb, sometimes in MLR... You, you can't create the right amount of pressure in training just because you don't have the training numbers. But you've got people like Victor Comtat, who's not going to get in the, the, the matchday squad as it looks at the moment, but he's going to be studying the opposition lineouts and putting a load of pressure in for Scott Murray. When, so that's why they're competing so well. That's where the, the, the quality of their line-out drive, you want to watch out for that because they'll be competing so hard in training. You've got Iglesias coming back. You've got Vassal coming back. They can start resting and rotating people. Sam Wuchin probably needs a rest. He's played almost every minute of the season. Um, so that's a balance because they still need to win games, but they could come into a bit fresher into the playoffs than everyone else. And then one other note, I know you wanted to mention this as well, Corbs. Not only veterans coming in, but sometimes young fellas coming in can really, really inspire the team. So I'm talking about Ethan McVeigh and Mike Smith. Like I remember when we were at Wasps at one uh, a stage and we were struggling for some uh, confidence and wins. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we were like, oh, let's throw him in. Christian Wade, Elliot Daly, Joe Launchbury and Billy Vunapola. They didn't have a worry in the world, lads. They were so happy to be there. And everyone starts remembering, bloody hell, this is fun, isn't it? We love it. And I think, uh, you know, I can see that in the player, Ethan McVeigh uh, and uh, Mike Smith. I think they've been, they've really added to the energy levels of that team. And I think they're doing a great job. So I think it's watch out the rest of the West because uh, Legion are coming. Uh, I agree, mate. I think they looked so, so improved. I think, um, you know, Houston weren't great, which is still a hard measuring stick to judge where exactly the Legion are, but they're, they're, moving forward and they've got this run into the playoffs and the table is looking a bit favorable to them with Austin capitulating with two losses, which is really giving him a chance. And, you know, Utah are looking good and we'll get onto that game, but their inconsistencies of their results this season really do create a pathway for Legion to make a run here. And so you look at their scrum, Paddy Ryan, massive impact at tight ed. You've got a rock there now at tight ed, got them dominant penalties. His involvements around the loose for first game in were phenomenal. It wasn't just a scrum he's carrying offloading getting through work that's a big uh, boost now you've got Ferno and Mitchell together in the row their line out was looking so much better organized they'd been kind of overloading their pack with almost too many ball carriers at times but giving themselves that set piece engine room or your front five that give you the scrum and give you the line out is such a bedrock to then add everything that they do well on top and then I think that was a massive improvement with their line out their set piece I thought their defense at times, the pressure you're talking about is bang on. I don't need to cover that. I thought they looked sharp off turnover attack as well, like the ability to move the ball, which is such a big identity of Legion that we've we've come to know with the threats they have, the pace out wide, the finishes. That was great to see. And then, you know... I think Houston have some huge issues which played into Legion's hands. The, the, the narrowness that they played off nine, um, to me, is just inviting Legion line speed and 
you're going to have big collisions there because it's nice, tight defense, easy to defend. And I think Legion, you know, blow for blow in collisions, probably them in Utah are as physical as it gets in this competition. Nightmare to play like that. No Povey is a huge loss for, for Houston and, and their attack looked very stunted. Windsor is not the man at 10 for them. I, I like him better at 15 or 12 where they can use his kicking boot when they need him, but he's not the first point of contact for that sort of attack and the play, the play make. And then, I think Legion are in, in, in a strong place. Uh, it'd be great to see now them get some games at Torero as well, because one of the things that is noticeable across the whole league is that the impact fans can make and, and the crowd and the atmosphere. Like you could see it in the premiership uh, rugby this weekend, having their first weekend with fans across it. You can see it in the MLR as teams are building crowds and the atmosphere is going. It's only going to up the home field advantage back into this league, which has been missing a little bit at times when you have these sort of stale, quiet atmospheres. So I think on a whole, Legion making a surge is just turning the, the temperature dial up on the West. And it's fantastic to now watch that playoff running. How are Austin going to respond? Where are Legion going? And what do Utah do in these next couple of weeks is must-see TV in the MLR. 100%. Mate. You, got, you, guys, you guys are bringing up sort of playoffs. And you're talking about a team that, you know, the first nine games, they, 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 were, they didn't have a home. They were they were, they were living out of their playing kit bags. So I mean, you know, you talk about playoffs or San Diego. I mean, there's going to be Utah, which is in fine form. Austin, that's going to want to argue it. LA wants to keep their top spot. So I mean, it's not going to be an easy run whatsoever. But if there is some team in the league that's going to be able to do it, I think San Diego might be it. And you know what? They are coming home. So we shall see. Mm-hmm. Next four games will be critical, lads, because they play Toronto away and Toronto are a little bit lost at the moment. Then they play Utah, LA, Austin. And it it could be decided by then because the last two games are Seattle at home and um, Old Glory away. Old Glory could have their feet up and uh, have the old beach sandals and the sunglasses on by that last game. (laughs) So I think Legion will definitely win that if if they need to. Seattle are struggling and will be out of it by then. And that's at Torero. So I think this next four game block, they need to win uh, Toronto. And then they play Utah, LA, Austin. And that's going to be decisive. That in-conference games. That you said it, Rob, can't agree more. The Utah, LA, and Austin. Those are going to be the deciding for one and two, for sure. This week's American Rugby Show was brought to you by Gilly's Legendary Lager. A lager this crushable doesn't come around that often. Let's find out. I stand by that statement. Game of the week, without a doubt. Top seeds from both West and East Conference. We had LA traveling out to Atlanta and ATL brought it. 17 to 12, Atlanta won. Uh, it was a great game, great atmosphere. They have something great going on over there. Um, Corbs, what were your take from, uh, from, from, from your comfortable couch? Mate, it was an exciting game to watch. I I think that Atlanta are very, very well coached. Uh, I think they're a real credit to this league. Uh, The style that they play is a, you know, a Rubik's Cube almost as such for teams to figure out how to to win the exchanges and, and put yourself in a position to combat a game plan like that. 
I think it was great for them to get the win. It was tough to watch from an LA point of view, but I think the way that they were able to disrupt LA in certain areas, and I know Rob, we're going to actually break it down, but just on a, a big picture sort of thing, it was great for the league. The competitiveness, the, the ability that LA could have, you know, left so much out there at times, been on the losing end of, of countless exchanges, but still constantly creating enough opportunities to potentially win the game is a huge bonus for them. And I think it'll be a learning curve for them to add some layers and some coping mechanisms for the next times these two teams potentially meet because there were some huge sort of red flags and some of the strategic decision-making I think they made at times, which played into Atlanta's hand. But on a whole, man, Atlanta's defense, and, and we'll get through the the game and everything, but just that last set of, 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 uh, of sets at the end to finish the game when LA was still chasing phenomenal, a uh, bit of, uh, a bit of a, uh, you know, defensive work from them there. And, and I, and I think, um, you know, on a whole, they deserve to win that game. Yeah. I mean, if we, I mean, if we start at the end, which is a great place to start, ATL just defended against the best attack in the league for 22 phases. It lasted three minutes and 10 seconds. This was the most complete defensive performance in the MLR I think we've ever seen. It was unbelievable. I cannot give enough credit to Scott Lawrence and every single player in that ATL squad for what they've done there. It was incredible to watch. Uh, they consistently took the game line away from LA. Um, you know, we said last week, that if you took any two minutes of rugby in the league so far, LA would have won 95% of the collisions in attack. That wasn't the case and LA couldn't find an answer. Um... And, you know, we say uh, defence wins championships. So <laughs> we're going to see if, if that can last, is it? There's a long way to go. There's a long way to go. And it, it could be very different the next time they meet. I think this will be, as Corb said, I think this is going to be great for LA because now they felt the pressure. Uh, most likely the final will be at the Coliseum. We don't know yet. It's something we can discuss later. It will be a very different game. Uh, and so, look, I was wrong for now because I said that, you know, we were talking last week. I said the best from the uh, West would beat the best from the East. I was wrong for now, but I'll stick with it. I think we're a long way from uh, playoff rugby yet. But um, can't give enough credit for this performance. I, I completely agree. I think even just looking at some of the final stats at the end of the game just sort of tells so much. You know, Atlanta, 38% possession. All right, LA, the territory was pretty easy, even 51-49. But then look at the carries. LA had 175 carries. Atlanta had 74. And then this is the massive one, meters carried. 856 for LA, 363 for Atlanta. And the tackles made by Atlanta, 263 tackles. And they only missed 20 the whole game. Like, phenomenal work from Atlanta to defend that. No one's seen LA defended like that. New York had opportunities and they stifled them, but not that much possession and and, and goes. No one's been able to handle LA like that at all. And it's so, so impressive. Yeah, and I mean, it's 17, it was was a better defensive performance than the Rooney one. If you look at it, the Cottrell try was, it was unfathomably soft I mean where did that come from he t- how can you top us at five meter and he goes straight through Connor Keys? I think it was unbelievable it was an absolute giveaway after how hard they worked and in fact the try uh, Van der Merve's try they defended it much better than Legion obviously they'd, they'd seen the move before but it was only a miss it was a missed tackle when Miss Lagu he still could have made that tackle but systematically they just didn't they, they barely made a mistake um, so let's let's have a little look through some of these examples I think 
one of the keys was O'Keefe. We've we've raved about him in attack over the past few weeks, but he was absolutely brilliant in defence here. He was given a clear role and he executed it to, in a way that LA couldn't quite figure out. So early on, we see uh, O'Keefe and Waitokia coming up so hard. They, they, they sprint up with absolute conviction in the plan and each other. Um, and then as they're coming up, you can see what they're doing in the backfield is also very important because... Uh, often O'Keefe would come off and leave two attackers outside him. He'd be pretty narrow. But Van Voot would then also work incredibly hard to close from behind him. And then they'd work on that slow breakdown. So they'd slow that and then LA have to start all over again. It was incredibly impressive. There was another example where Goddard wanted to play out to the left. Waitokia gets in that space earlier and he actually turns Goddard back the other way. So now he's playing behind the breakdown completely out of the LA plan and out of the LA shape. When he goes back the other way, they've split the centres. Uh, uh, Waitoki's got 15 on his back, but defends as a centre because they put Kose at the back. They go back the other way and now O'Keefe's up in the lane and he actually gets an interception this time. It's pulled back for an offence in, in the ruck. But another fantastic example of being an aggressive, cutting off the edge, even if it's leaving two or sometimes even three attackers outside and saying, well, you've got to beat us. Um, and, and, and we've seen so often other teams against LA because they've got all these options and all these men running at you and the threats out wide they try to drift off to cover the wide threats but by drifting off you're just allowing the attack to run onto you and making it easier whereas ATL said no no we'll take you behind the game line and you've got to figure it out and so they took LA out of their game plan um, and then another example in the second half which is really really important here um if you just freeze frame and look at Van Voot out the back, he's covering as 15, although they, they, they interchange. He's over on inside the posts when uh, LA are making their original play. They move it out to the left and the work off the ball is different class. So the centres we know are going to come up and really close hard. Now, when Gitto looks to go wide... There's no real chip space because Van Vuch's still five metres behind. But as he makes the pass, the closing speed now means that Meeks gets a man and ball tackle and it's yet another uh, forward pass under pressure. I mean, they thought there was space there and Van Vuch just closes it whilst the playmaker's looking up. The receiver's looking in to catch. As he catches the pass, he's under pressure. It's it's absolutely brilliant, the timing and the conviction that they execute with. No, I, I, mate, I think defensively, to shut down the options for LA was fantastic. You could see LA were trying to get to the outside of that line speed, whether it be big missed passes to get out there, but... The kicking space behind what you usually think of a lot of the time when a, a team is aggressive with line speed wasn't there because they marshaled it well. And then what I loved as well is with the kicking exchanges from Atlanta, they just put so much pressure back on LA. I, I thought there was times where they would just kick and, and they would kick catchable kicks to, to LA, which were just outside the 22, so they couldn't mark them. And then they would just come with unbelievable line speed, pressure, numbers to that breakdown, make it an absolute dogfight and just slow LA down. And if LA decided to play, it was at their own risk. And if not, they would kick it back and then Atlanta would rinse, wash and repeat and do the same thing over and over again. It was, it was fantastic to, uh, to see.
Yeah, and I mean, there's some really good footage on that, Corbs, that we can look at as well. If we're, I would encourage, uh, you know, I know some people are listening, but if, if you can get over to YouTube and watch these clips as well, it, I think it really illuminates the conversation. Uh, again, O'Keefe, you know, pushing through on the second line of attackers from deep. Uh, then they play wide. Meeks gets tackled behind the gain line, which happened a lot in the game. And then they don't have an exit plan then. Then they're just playing to survive. As we talked about, Todd, last week, you, you, you know, you said, you mean kicking is designed to get you a better attacking platform? Well, even LA were getting rushed. And then uh, Gitto kicks a bomb and it goes backwards. I mean, how many times have you seen that, in, you know, for, for him in any team? Um, and then, uh, you know, a huge demonstration of, the, again, the, the ATL way. There's a kick exchange. There's a counterattack. ATL put a kick up. They smash the receiver. They they pressure at that breakdown. LA have got slow ball. They can't exit over the halfway line, right? So the exit and it's in their half. Van Voot, great catch execution. Goose, who's very important, slows everything up, controls it, sets up his ruck, sets up his organization. They get four chases on the blind side. Perfect box. Let them catch it again, as you said, at Corbs. Smash them, and then Dan wins uh, the penalty at the breakdown. That is ATL rugby. They go 3 0 up. Um, and oh, sorry, no, they didn't go 3 0 up because that's what uh, led to the first try, where similar to uh, New England, the forwards are putting in the pressure on near the try line, and they sweep with O'Keefe, Ezcura, and Kulsa. And as uh, a goose uh, looks up, plays to the left, it's Ryberg at the first defender for LA. You cannot have your blind winger at the one defender position. Your wing has to defend the wing. You know, when we were at Wasp, you know, Sean Edwards would say to us, if you're playing on the wing and your wing scores, that's your fault. You can't let you, how can you let your wing score? and made it a personal battle. So now Ryberg, the pace is at, at the inside. Then they've got forward scrambling and it's a beautiful pass to the outside to Kulsa. And the forwards have got no chance to cover that in that distance. So uh, it's just, it was, it was brilliant play. You've got Kulsa, Escura, Van Vu and Waitokia have all played 15, you see, as well. So they can rotate happily in the backfield. They can all catch, they can all kick, and they can all run back, and they all work incredibly hard to cover distance. So, lads, that was literally the perfect 20 minutes of ATL rugby. Um, the only thing, they conceded too many penalties, but it doesn't really matter because they're very, very aggressive. They'd made, as you said, twice as many tackles and half as many carries at half time. Well, it does. If you're looking for those uh, stats to, to, to for how to win a game, get you you you're, you you're barking up the wrong tree because that's exactly what they want to do. It, it, was, no, it, it was it was a real it was a real uh, exhibition of uh, ATL defence. Absolutely, and there's so many even more layers to it. The, the pressure they put at the breakdown, uh, the counter-rocking, slowing LA's ball down there, just adding more layers when you add that on top of the line speed. And one of the reasons why the penalty count didn't really affect them was because LA's line-out capitulated. And yes, part of that's to do with the red card. And I think this is the time to transition to get onto that. That affected the, the game because we were already in an absolute tussle of a game where LA were on the re receiving end in that first half under pressure that the, uh, the Atlanta game plan was starting to pay dividends. That red card was a catalyst for that 20 period where it just turned the dial up on the control they could have at times because the line out, they got the dumb there. It gave them the edge at the scrum, which was hard to watch at times, but you know, 
credit at uh, Atlanta and their coaching department because I think they've got an amazing set piece. I think their line out is spot on, but I think their scrum is phenomenal too. It's very similar to the way LA like to operate. It was a good contest and I thought I thought they got the better of it, but I think the second row, losing the second row there definitely affects the, affected the scrum, but it was just a complete performance. I think, you know, the amount of time that when they did have the ball, where they actually had that possession and what they were able to do with it, they only decided to play in LA's half. They would box up to the halfway line in that game and just say, this is working, lads. Let's throw more pressure on them. And LA would get to about 40 out and think, well, this is the furthest we've been out with the ball in our hands for a while. Let's play and try and create something. But, you know, credit LA, they were eventually, there were times where that game plan of just play play in your own half almost led to fruition of points but it's so risky with what Atlanta are trying to do because you're playing into their hands I thought that the um the biggest takeaway is is that for all that Atlanta did it was still so close and it's still like you've got to credit that yeah. LA almost dug themselves out of there. If Ryberg could have got that pass off a little bit better to Goddard yep. on that break at the end, how about Ryan Ryan James and and the impact he made off the bench? Uh, you know, talking about a player that looks dangerous, phenomenal. And I just thought when you play a team like uh, Atlanta, one thing I think LA were guilty of is they were just too costly with possessions. Like, yes, you're struggling because you haven't had the sets, your set pieces getting hindered, so you're not getting through the phases like you want. But going out into touch to, to gain five more meters off a phase, it, when you're under pressure and in the type of game you're playing, to me is inexcusable. Like some of the forced passes in, in the 22, you know, Gitto with an offer, there's a couple bit more patience from LA and they still get the tries they need to win that game. So there's a lot to digest in it. And that's why it was such fantastic watching is that, hey, Atlanta just showed like their game plan done effectively can nullify anyone and LA also showed that regardless of the stats they'll keep going keep going and there's still a good chance they'll cut you as well yeah and I think the key thing there is Corbs that was the best ATL performance they could probably put on they won by what was it five points five points LA had a red card and LA we're attacking to win the game at the end of the game. So, I mean, and they may have to go to the Coliseum to win the final or, or you know, and it's not to say, it's not to say they're even going to get to the final. You, you know, we're a long way from playoff rugby here. So get out your mind that you have an un, unbeaten season. That doesn't happen in rugby. So you're going to lose some games. So this is a fair enough uh, game for LA to lose on the road. Uh, but they're going to be so much stronger for it. And I think you've got to look at um, some of the detail as well It's because it can either be the plan or the execution. So in, in terms of how LA then changed to take on the ATL defence, I think I think Gitto stepped up uh, really well because take away these long floaty passes over the top, they won't work because, because if O'Keefe's in the lane, it means you've got to go high and long over the top cart he tried at the end. But by that time, the last man's going to close you off and you're going to receive sort of at a standstill. That ain't the game. You don't beat a blitz by long floaty passes. Uh, you beat a defence by a blitz by great movement and short passes um, and picking on some slower defenders. So just to pick up on that, I felt like um, Gitto took control a bit here 
um, where he, he receive and he take a couple of steps whereby the midfield defenders are going to have to make a decision. And what he was trying to do, he was aiming to isolate like the third defender out from the ruck. Uh, and there's an example where he's looking at someone like Chance Wenglusi, not picking on him, but just using him as an example of a, a, a tight defender. Um, and he's trying to get O'Keefe and Waikotokia to jump past the, the lane, the passing lane, and then he can either go behind them or run at a tight five defender who's uh, isolated. Uh, so he picked on Chance Langusi. Then he tried a loop play, because if he plays the loop, again, the outside defenders might go past the ball. Momsen jumped out and he had a chance of playing behind him. He didn't, but it's another decision that the defence has got to make. Then he comes back the other way, uh, they target Wengluski again. Meeks is at playmaker and he hits the lead runner, um, Langi Langi. So what he's trying to do there, Meeks delays, delays, shapes to go out the back. So Keith jumps past. What that means if, if, if Langi Langi Hapuaki catches the ball, unfortunately he drops it, right? Then he can then he can get a leg drive on that defender. Now he can offload and O'Keefe's passed the ball because he's gone up so fast and he can't recover. So again, you've got to look at, is it the tactics or the execution? If Lange catches that ball, they are in behind O'Keefe and they've got a shot. Um, and so I thought that was the change that uh, Gitto made. Um, and, it, and again, they'll learn so much from it. There was another one where he double pumps. So he fakes the wide ball, getting them to, to jump up disconnects Wengluski and Momsen uh, and, and then he makes a short pop to Dennis who offloads for the big line break. Uh, he even made a break of his own Gitto where uh, he had an inside option. This was in the first half. He had an inside option to Van der Merve. So that caught Heaton's eye on the inside and then it isolates the third defender, Dam, who's not quick enough to deal with someone like Gitto. So that's another way of attacking against a hard blitz is make that third defender or type five defenders on the inside make decisions. But there have to be options running at them. And obviously you can't do it all the time because they'll just eat you up. Um, so a bit of variety, but then attacking in that lane with someone as clever as Gitto and some offloads around that area and hitting lead runners, uh, I think... It was a nice, it was a nice um, uh, change by LA as they tried to do something else. But ATL kept standing up to it and ATL kept doing a great job. But LA will game plan better now when they come in, if they get another chance to play them. Uh, absolutely. And I, and I think if you get the set piece, like, mate, the, the job they did on LA at set piece was phenomenal. But if LA get that set piece right and they get some of those launches better, there's a strong case I think they score as well. I think the last point I'll probably make is in the, in the, First half, especially, they it wasn't even they they self inflicted two or three poor drives or miscommunications. You know whether they were going to peel or do whatever at the line out, and and if they if the, I just said play off the top lads and get some phases down there, I reckon you'll get some decent reward, especially early on as well. Um, and, and as the game was going, that's probably the last thing I was at is I think they just could have you know maximized their opportunities just to play rugby down and 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 uh, Atlanta's half because they, they Atlanta dug in well, but that that's what the the name of the game is is controlling where that game was played and giving yourself the best chance to win. Yeah, and, and Deep again, breath, you Todd's know, back in. Me and Rob are overloaded <laughs> out. No, I mean, you guys, you know, dissected the game and, and, and well done for that. But as a spectator, as a fan going over there and actually introducing new rugby fans that, that are in that Atlanta area that have never been to MLR and never been to a rugby game, 
uh, it's a whole culture shock for them, and they enjoyed it. You know, that was uh, that was a spectacle of you know a community embracing, opening up, um, and, and and the atmosphere was good. The good fans, uh, military appreciation, um, but the whole thing was the pressure. I mean, Atlanta had the pressure. It was pressure that caused the four passes, maybe four of them, five of them in the game. Yep. Uh, the lineouts, you know, taking, you know, eight, nine, uh, you know, a, a, away from the clean. So the pressure on there, I mean, the only only downside, I think, for the whole evening was probably the, the production of the, the, the lighting. You know, I don't know if they could play proper night games in Atlanta because of, you know, the, the, the lighting. It, was, it, was, it seemed a little bit dark, and I was wondering – how would it look on on broadcast? And it was a little bit weird with the shadows and everything else. Um, but I mean, go, walking through the stadium, having you know live music, the smell of barbecue, uh, drinks were flowing. I snuck in a couple gillies, you know, so we uh, we enjoyed those on on the sideline. But uh, it, it was a great event. It was awesome. Um, and and again, ATL definitely deserved that 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 victory with the pressure that they brought. Um, but you know, fair warning to all the teams going there. I mean, that's, that's a tough place to play. It's not, uh, not easy. No, it was awesome to see. And as we keep saying, the higher the level of rugby, the higher that every single moment of the game is a contest. And that's exactly what it was there. And then that's why you'd see the, 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 the knock-ons or the mistakes at the lineouts. And for me personally, that was probably... The, my favourite game of MLR I've ever watched. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Agreed. Utah hosts in Austin. I mean, this was definitely, you know, going into it, the, the game of the week or the runner-up for game of the week because these guys have been going, you know, second, third, third, second, second, third. And uh, this was definitely wanting to, uh, you know, who's going to take that playoff spot. Um, obviously, there's a lot of running, uh, a lot of room for playoffs, but this wanted to set the standard. And Utah just came out of the gates uh, scoring, I think, 22 points to zero. Uh, they were just on a different gear than, than, than Austin, and it, was, uh, it wasn't even close throughout the whole game. But, uh, you know, to get into it, Corbs, what are your thoughts on that, uh, on, on that game? I think, you know, big picture, uh, what a statement from Utah in the West to, to, to show that, you know, they are still very much in this, and, you know, it's going to take – uh, some big, uh, a big run from either Austin or San Diego to sort of knock them out of that second uh, second spot. I thought that was really impressive, and I think probably Austin could not handle the explosiveness uh, of Utah. And and I think you know Utah the, up there, crowd atmosphere, play fast. Uh, Mikey Teo and Mika Cruze are running riot on teams. Basca is 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 you know 100% one to watch at nine. They're really impressed with him, and I just think you know. If you Austin's defense, you know, the sterilizers is built on set piece dominance and defense. You know, we've given Scott Lawrence a lot of credit on this pod, and I think he really deserves it as one of the best American coaches in the MLR head coach. But Sean Pittman deserves a real pat on the back too, because I think the set piece of Utah is really starting to come together. Their scrum, their line out, they Austin couldn't get any ins there, and then they were losing the collisions and and never able to sort of slow Utah down at times. And I felt Utah just blew them away with too much firepower. And Austin, you know, their default when they're under pressure is to go harder at their set piece. And I felt like Utah had the answer there, and it didn't leave them many places to go to try and win the game back. Yeah, it was kind of. Uh, I think it's just one of those days for Austin where just they lost three starters in the first half. They had a yellow card in the first half. Um, 
And it's interesting because Yen, they're talking about, well, you know, they're interviewing Mikey Terry. Oh, how did you, how did you beat the Austin Blitz? Oh, we wanted to get the ball. They didn't beat the Blitz. You don't have to beat the Blitz, by the way. You don't have to beat the, you, you just have to beat the defence. You just have to score points. It doesn't matter whether you beat the Blitz or not. You see, it's hard to beat the Atlanta Blitz, but you don't have to do that. Toronto didn't beat the Blitz, but they scored four tries against uh, Atlanta. Um, or three tries, I can't remember. But so what happened was those tries came from a drive. They came from a length of the field run where there's no line speed up there in that end of the field. Uh, they came when they had a yellow card, when it's difficult to have line speed with a yellow card, an interception, uh, a TO uh, in line, um, which was a great line, and another interception. So it's not like they were, they were just going wide and bleating, beating them. But that's even better to have all those different strings to your bow uh, and different ways to score. Uh, and as you say, Pittman's fired up. The, you know, you, we know they've got a good drive. Um, now their defence is coming to play as well with a couple of intercepts. That's always a really good sign uh, that you're putting pressure. And then uh, talking about strings to the bow, did anyone see what position was Mike Teo playing? Because I think I saw 10, him at 9, 15, 10, yeah. <laughs> 15. I think uh, he was picking and going like a back row. He took a line like a 12 for the try. That's got to be one of the best MLR performances ever by an individual, isn't it? Mate, he is absolutely on fire over there. Like he is on fire and everyone feeds off of him too. Like he's yeah. just such a live wire. You know, he gets the ball, makes it, you, you see Mike, it makes a little spark from somewhere and and the whole team come alive. I think honestly, like him and Mika as a one and two, like what a mentor for someone like Mika Cruze to have someone like Mikey Teo to play with week in, week out, who they feed off each other. It's always one of them offloading to the other, which is creating something like they, they're so in sync with each other. I absolutely love that. It's something I would, you know, <laughs> I would, if I was involved in the Eagles, be considering that partnership has got to be, you know, something I'm looking at long term because it's sensational to watch. Might just give T.O. four different shirts and just throw him out there. One when hooker as well. I reckon he could be a hooker as well with that <laughs> build. Let's clone him. Let's clone him. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean the, the try, I mean, I'm not in charge of the Gillies try of the week, but it's got to be at least up there or runner up. But I mean, those guys were carving up and those guys, and, and it's amazing that everybody sees it. And I mean, you go to the rugby network and they have memes about, you know, Teo and Cruze, you know, going through it because that's what we got to celebrate as fans. I mean, that partnership. I mean, it's kind of like that Brady Gronk, you know, minus a few yeah. inches, inches and, a, you know, a couple hundred pounds between the two, uh, you know, compared- a couple million dollars <laughs> exactly. and a couple Super Bowls. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite a few zeros on the, their bank accounts. But uh, I mean, that's that's what we have to do. We got to celebrate that kind of yeah. that stuff. And Teo is is definitely you know he's my favorite player in in the MLR this year. And uh, to see him and Cruze could not have gone to a better uh, a better team to complement his skills uh, for his next development, as you were mentioning. Yeah, and I'd also add to that, Todd. That's also a great coaching job by uh, Sean and Sean Davis and uh, uh, Sean Pittman because you've got to know how to harness. Mikey, you like you want to bring the best out of him, and I'm joking, but sometimes it is on your go, son, because you you might know a bit more than us, you know, about this game because he's so unpredictable. It makes it so hard to defend, and you you almost don't want to rein him in um, when he's uh, when he's on that sort of form. You just want to release him uh, and sort of say, "Catch me as if you can." Speaking of which, did you see old Forrest Gump? Bailey Wilson, I think he was still accelerating when he uh, when he went over the try line. Love, there was no one near him within 50 meters. What? Pick your knees up, son. <laughs> That's a GPS stat, mate. He was going for that top <laughs> speed stat on the GPS. He wanted that oh, 10 meters a second or whatever it is. <laughs> 
fair play. You see, there you go, though. That's that, mate, having those youngsters. You, you, do you know sometimes you hit upon something where you have some youngsters come through and they just got all the enthusiasm in the world and they made him captain. That's another big decision. You know, some, you know, similar to someone like Sam Warburton, uh, that Gats made captain of Wales when he's incredibly young. Um, but, you know, he's doing a fantastic job as well. So, so a really good mix there. And um, I'm excited to... To, to see how they go now. I, I, I'll put the Blake brakes on slightly here because I think Austin's running is much easier than Utah's. So Utah, like this is still a four-way, well, probably a three-way battle for second, right, between Austin, Utah and uh, Legion. Austin go away. Austin now play Houston, which is, is, if you don't win that, you don't deserve to finish second, right? So Houston's a bit of a gimme. Toronto and Seattle, that's three of the worst the more, more struggling teams in the league, right? For Austin. Then they play San Diego, which is the big one. So they'll be putting, you know, everything towards that. But they could have three wins going into that game. Then they play LA. Do you reckon they might get on the phone if they need to a win for second place? Gilly. Yeah. Gilly. Come on, lads. You know, maybe pick the second team. A few, few line-out throws, overthrows or something like that. And then they go to OG. So, they'll, you know, and again, they could win that. Utah, on the other hand, have got to play San Diego. Uh, New York, ATL and LA in their last uh, six games. That is a tough, tough schedule. So it was a great performance there um, by um, by Utah, but against the depleted Austin team. Uh, and uh, they do have a tougher run in, in my opinion. Just to back it up a little bit more on that performance of Utah. I mean, even us, we're laughing about it. We're on the edge of our seats and we're talking about the, the thing. Whenever they play, they are expressing themselves. They're having a good time. You see Teo making that unders line, you know, I don't know what jersey he was wearing, 12 or number six or whatever jersey, you know, playing what he was doing, scoring that try, carving up the defense, and he's having a good time. People are celebrating. That's what you want to see, people enjoying themselves. And and and, and I wouldn't take them. I understand that they have a, a, a tough run, but you know what? With with that enthusiasm, people getting behind that, that's uh, it's, it's, it's start, hard to stop that. Todd, you reckon they'll finish second? No. <laughs> I, I think you gotta remember I think you gotta remember that some of those Eagles are gonna be away in some of those big games at the run in yeah. too. Yeah. And and you know, you take Mike Teo and maybe one or two others out of that team when you need them. Yeah. Might be a different story. Same thing, you know, if Sam Wu Ching and a few guys are, are, are missing here or there, like it's another wrinkle. So much more depth now, mate. Legion I agree. So, so I don't think I'm just using that as an example. I'm just not saying that yeah. taking him out. I'm just saying yeah. it's just something as we talk about those running games and the way that yeah. it's going to come down to the wire. Who is missing who in those weeks, uh, which is, you know, TBD still is going to be important when you look at some of these teams as well. Great point, Corbs. I mean, that is definitely uh, a tough. Tough thing that we've talked about in the previous weeks of like club versus country, club, country versus club, and, and when it goes. And those are, those are definitely the weekends where uh, those clubs are definitely going to want those stars. Uh, but, uh, you know, time will tell. But that was uh, – it was a great performance by Utah. Austin is definitely wicking, licking their wounds. And uh, no doubt, you know, with the last, uh, you know, games, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll put a much better performance. Last game of round 11 was hosted in the nation's capital, D.C. versus New York. I mean, there was, uh, you know, there, was, there was some pretty big names in the crowd, some politicians, some WWE Hall of Famers in, in there. And it was, uh, it was great to see 
uh, that, but that's as uh, as far as DC brought because New York just came out clobbering and had a top top performance. Hodes, what were your thoughts on that game? Bloody hell! I said AETL had a good twenty minutes. Well, Rooney were twenty six nil up, I think, after twenty minutes. So. Uh... Um, firstly, just uh, like to say congratulations to Marty Veal. He wasn't at the game. Uh, Emma Veal in, uh, in hospital having their second baby. So a great time for them. And Marty Burke stepped in. Yeah, big. <laughs> the next generation, another US qualified player. There you go. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, again, like everyone speaks very highly of Marty Burke. And I think the impact that he's he, he's having there as well from uh, Bay of Plenty. Um, and you can see, you know, the, the confidence in that group um and, and again they just came out flying it's like a 30 meter line out drive try um Thaka Balavu off a, a bit of a lucky bounce from a chip uh Brakely the, uh, the, the third and fourth tries are more significant for me because they sum up Rooney they make a lot of offloads uh they've always got support around but they're not like risky offloads they're beating the man and then it's pretty pretty simple and easy offloads pretty uh low risk Brakely from offloads and good support and then Foden uh, from a a little Ellis uh, step and offload I mean Ellis is just must be having the time of his life he must be loving it here um so yeah it was all it was incredible they they, they were they were just out off to the races and then unfortunately they get the yellow card uh to Pryor then Bennett gets the yellow card for the trip and all of a sudden, you know, are the OGs in it? And then um, Nagali, <laughs> bloody hell. Have you, ever, have you ever done that, lads? Have you ever have you ever dropped it over the line early celebration? One time. I have, mate. You have? <laughs> yeah. Todd, you can't do it twice. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Did you? What was the game, Todd? What happened? Oh, you don't want to know. I It ended up being a yellow card. I ended up throwing uh, the jersey over with frustration, embarrassment, to everything else. It was... It was <laughs> It was back in the day. It was only yellow card, so you know, not a full signing, but in, very embarrassed. Oh, I'm well. getting red as, it, as speaking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah, it doesn't. Don't really cover yourself in glory because that was uh, that was a clear try, and they would have been back within twelve or fourteen points. Um, but they they were never really in the game, Corbs. What did you think? No, I agree. I thought Rooney blew them away. I think Rooney are adding just layers upon layers to the game. We, we've seen that sort of defensive battler tag that they've had at times where they've been able to dig in. But the impressiveness with their attack and uh, obviously the mall has always been a, a Rooney weapon. But I thought, like you already touched on some of the tries, um, the creativity, finding space behind with other little chips and stuff. Uh, the Andy Ellis chip that I think Foden gathers and then the offload uh, is an absolute uh, fantastic try there. Um, for for Will Leonard and uh, you know it, I, I just think Rooney are really sort of gathering steam I, th- I think they're, they're going to be a tougher and tougher out you can see that um, uh, the, the coaching it, it, they're adding more layers to their attack and I think they've got more identities and I just think um, their set piece is strong too and they have good control at 9 and 10 and I think one of the bigger points is they were able to go out and attack like that without Hollingshead and, and Bennett again has played two games at 10 and they've still come away with two, uh, you know, impressive looking Ws. So, so fair play to Rooney at the moment. I think they're gathering some momentum over there on the East. Yeah, it's been their best attacking games, actually, the last two. Uh, so, you know, you'd think that Hollingshead could come in and even accelerate that. But um, Ellis is dangerous at 10. I mean, they're not taking him off. Conor McManus comes on, you think, well, you know, they back the young fella and they get Ellis a rest and Ellis goes to 10. Fair play. And then 78 minutes, 
Try got to be Gilly's try of the week, eh? Gilly's try of the week. This is I'm gonna tee you up, Rob. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna tee you up. Let's do it. Okay. This week's yeah. Gilly's try of the week is from some of the silky work of Rugby United New York, finished off by Chris Matina. Take it away for us, one and only Rob Hoadley. Well, he's got plenty in the tank. Ellis, he spots the gap from underneath his own uh, poles. He says, let's play the space. He sees two big fellas in front of him. He says, I'm going to take him on. I still got gas in the tank. Gets to about halfway, finds Pryor in, uh, in support. Then McManus, great nine support line. And Martina's there to finish it off. What a try. Length of the field, coast to coast. And that is this week's Gillies try of the week. Mate, it, it was phenomenal. I thought Pryor had a fantastic game. I thought he is a dangerous runner. Uh, you know, the quick line out and then the try that he finished uh, off there as well. Like he's he's big, he's long, he's rangy, he can offload, he's fast. It gives him a line out option. Like New York got some players, mate. I I, I think they're, they're gonna be um they're gonna be a force. And and I was just thinking about their season in general. They're the one well, them and Toronto are the two teams that have gone to Atlanta and actually, you know, carve them up. And that is, you know, something to be said for Rooney in, in the back, even if they end up going to Atlanta for that playoff game in the East, which could happen. They've yeah. already gone there and got the W and they, they've got the sort of the game plan that will make that a real contest and not just be a, a foregone conclusion, yeah. which I think some teams going to Atlanta might be. Yeah, look, we're gonna, obviously we're going to talk about the playoffs more and more, right? Trust me. This week will be one of many. Every week, you know, you think it's the most important week, and now these. Are the, this week will be one of many. This doesn't really just the, the the points that people get count towards the end, but the results, the performances, it won't be remembered at the end. We've still got six weeks. We've got play, players that will be going away uh, for international duty. We've got some teams we used to call it in England that they're on the beach their minds are on the beach at the end of the season because they're out of it they've got nothing to play for so you could see some uh, basketball scores here because one team's got a lot to play for and one team doesn't see for instance San Diego uh, Houston at the weekend uh, so a lot of things are going to change between now and the end of the season um, but I think from this game two of the highlights has got to be um, it, you know it was done pretty early but uh, two Sitala the deaths there at Nagali was one of the funniest things I've seen. Did you see? Did you see him? You could literally. He went. What was that? And he's just staring at him. Oh my days! I wouldn't have wanted to be in that change room at half time. And then, and then Hanko breaking down the right hand side, and he sees clear space. There's there's space in behind. There's only one thing to do, but I think he was. I think he was fumbling it for his phone to call JP Smith to, to, to see, you know, what do I do? There's chip space. And uh, by the time he tried to reach for his phone, uh, it was an air kick. That wasn't pretty. It was not pretty, mate. It was the absolute right, right decision. The space is on there. But it, it just even highlights how silky that kick was from from JP Smith. That you know, not everyone can do it because uh, that yeah, air, air ball Mate, as such as he stay in America. MLR, MLR kit, uh, chip uh, coach specialist. I think Hanko be his first customer. <laughs> and that's it for round eleven MLR breakdown. What a weekend! Great host, and uh, you know, thank you all for our military men and women that have uh, serving and and obviously we're paying respect to the ones that paid the ultimate sacrifice for us to live here in a beautiful wonderful number one country so thank you again and uh see you next week 
That is a wrap on the round 11 MLR breakdown. Rob, Todd, thanks again for all your time. For everyone listening, we really appreciate all the support. Keep checking us out on our social handles on Instagram at The American Rugby Show, on Twitter at The Am Rugby Show. Tons of content coming out. We're really ramping it up and trying to grow our presence. Support us. Tell your friends about us. The pod is growing. Our numbers are going up. We're all really excited and we love catering to you all. And a quick shout out to remind you all to check out Nate Ebner on Eagle Watch and to carry on with, we'll be dropping the State of the Union later this week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.